Behold, the genius Lanny Popper, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video score. You're listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host JP Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Hello again, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Poffo, and this is... JP Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com. And at the time of this recording, you've been home for two days from your two-week trip to Japan. You had the opportunity to do color commentating for New Japan Pro Wrestling. How was that whole experience for you? Oh, it was uh, great when I can remember of it. I've been sleeping a lot. Bit of jet lag. Good thing I don't have a proper job. (laughs) I'm feeling really good. Why, do you want to hear about my experience? Well, that'd be good to know. I'm, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear how things were going out there and how you're feeling in the aftermath. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Mavs Gillis and Kevin Kelly. These are also announcers on the English version of New Japan. And uh, they were very, very nice to me. And they made sure I got to experience the uh, tourist version of Tokyo and, and Japan. And also Harold May, the president of New Japan, Michael Craven. These are the officers of New Japan, and uh, I got to go to the uh, Meiji Shrine. He was an emperor from 1867 to 1912, if you're going to be tested on it. And um, they say if you go in June, you get to go to the Iris Garden. I'm glad I missed it because it's really hot in June, and it was nice and cool when I went. Uh, If you go in the springtime, though, you get to go to the uh, Cherry Blossoms. I was a little too early for the autumn foliage, but I was happy to be there anyway. You go to the Harajuku station, and you get off at the Meiji Shrine. Uh, The most amazing thing I saw was the Shinkansen train. I got to go to the uh, Shizuka town, and uh, I think it cost 60 American dollars. I didn't have to pay for it. Speaking of that, one criticism of Japan, you know, they're supposed to be 21st century Everything's all modern, but they don't let you pay with the credit card over there much. And um, that sucks, (laughs) okay? You know, you have to have yen, and I didn't have a penny in yen. I didn't have... Yeah, you mentioned when you went, you tried to go out to eat, and you had to go to four different restaurants before they accepted credit card. In Osaka, it was even worse. Uh, Osaka was about 10 different restaurants, and they don't accept credit cards there. Wow. So I had to finally go to the mall where they had uh, a little bit more modern. See, I like paying with credit card, and that way I pay the bill once a month, and that way I know where I've been. It's everything, you know, accounted for. I'm really into Apple Pay. Do you have that? No, I do not. I just use contactless out here in the UK. It just comes right out of my checking. Well, I like my Apple Pay. And uh, I went to the Emperor's Palace and the Budokan and a lot of great things. Oh, I had a great time, and... The trip was long and arduous, but I don't want to complain because on the plane, I saw people even older than I was. So if they can do it, I can do it. And you saw a lot of great talent, too, in New Japan. I saw great talent, uh, every, a lot of young talent, uh, 
everybody's athletically gifted and trying to stretch the envelope there. And uh, Chris Jericho is there off and on. And um, he is very, very popular or unpopular. Anyway, he sells tickets. So he's a big deal there. Absolutely. So, yeah, it seems that you had a great time. And you even saw Jushin Liger, uh, who's been wrestling for a while. He was on the bus with you. I recently saw a picture of your brother wrestling him. That was floating around. I think we're going to put that up on our social media account today. So, overall, a really good time for you. Yeah, it was great. Uh, The Shinkansen train. Did I mention that? The bullet train? Yeah, you mentioned that when you were talking with Kevin Kelly in last week's episode. It goes really fast. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get that um, in the states. That's uh, the technology was like 1980s. We're probably going to get something even better eventually. Yeah, they were talking about Elon Musk, where they're going to have some tunnels pretty soon, where you can go from San Francisco to Los Angeles in a half hour. When by car, that's eight hours. So that would be really interesting, and hopefully, in the next couple of years, we'll be able to get around much quicker. Well, I'm not going to volunteer to be the first one to try it. Oh, no. uh, (laughs) No, thanks. Yeah, it's going to be 600 miles an hour sending you through a tunnel. I can see possible downside to that. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely do a couple trial runs before I step foot on one of those. Talk about meeting Ricky Dozan's wife. As those who don't know, he's one of the most influential men in professional wrestling, particularly out in Japan. So what an honor that must have been for you to catch up with her. Well, it was just a lucky break, and I owe it all to Mavs Gillis. He's the one that insisted. He said he was going to take me around because, you know, he has a girlfriend in Japan, and he had been there many months, so he knew his way around everything. And he didn't tell me where we were going, but he didn't even know that she was going to be there. So we went to the New Japan Pro Wrestling shop, which sells the T-shirts, the pictures, and the memorabilia. And... So he went there, he introduced me to everybody, and I said that um, when I was seven years old, uh, my father introduced me to Ricky Dozan, and I got to meet him, and he shook my hand at the age of seven. He says, well, here's his wife, let me, uh," and then all of a sudden, we, Mrs. Ricky Dozan, okay, and then uh, she spoke English like about a three on a scale of ten, which is better than nothing. And I explained to her who I was, who my father was, who my brother was, and uh, the time that when I was nine and Randy was, uh, I mean, Randy was nine and I was seven, um, we met Ricky Dozen, thanks to my father's friendship with Bobby Bruns in St. Louis, and she just gave me a hug and started crying, and it was like, ooh, I had touched a nerve. So after all these years, you know. Uh, he died in 1963. Right. Still, that was, it was an amazing moment. I owed all the Mavs Gillis who forced me to go with him. To, he, he didn't tell me where we were going, so I just trusted him. Despite being a national hero in Japan, Ricky Dozan, he was murdered by a member of the Yakuza. That's the Japanese mafia. He was stabbed in a nightclub by a guy by the name of Katsuji Murata with a urine-soaked knife. Absolutely brutal. He didn't die right away. Actually, I'm going to read straight from his Wikipedia entry. Reportedly, after being stabbed, Ricky Dozan threw Murata out of the club and continued to party. He refused to seek medical help, but another report states that Ricky Dozan did indeed see a physician shortly after the incident, and he was told that the wound was not serious. He died a week later of peritonitis on December 15, 1963. 
It was rumored by Masahiko Kimura that his murder was in retaliation for when Ricky Dozan attacked Kimura during a wrestling match after Kimura delivered an errant kick to Ricky Dozan's groin, ignoring a pre-match arrangement and attacking Kimura for real. Now, the killer, Murata, he served seven years in prison for manslaughter, and Murata claimed on December 15 of every year, he calls up Ricky Dozan's sons to apologize, and then he visits Ricky Dozan's grave. A sad ending for a national hero, but it seems Murata felt remorse for what he did in the end. And what good is that? Yeah, no, a bit too late now. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to be so cynical, but remember, any link to the mob was, you said it, I didn't, okay? <laughs> right. It definitely is a sad story. I mean, being stabbed by a urine-soaked knife, continued partying, and then died later on. Just terrible. Yeah, that pisses me off. Over the past few weeks, we've been tagged into a lot of posts on social media with fans asking about particular matches that you had with your brother Randy during your ICW days. It's probably hard for you to remember exact results from particular shows as you and your brother wrestled a lot in the early days. It's impossible to remember the finishes of every match. The thing is, we were operating on what we had at the time. I was the lead babyface, he was the lead heel, and we made do, sometimes with six or eight men on a card. So sometimes we worked twice. In other words, we were just trying to, you know, swim with the big fish. Tell us some good stories you have about wrestling your brother. Like, who picked up most of the wins, and was there a bit of a healthy competition ever building up between you guys off camera as a result of those bouts? No, there was no healthy competition at all. I just listened, he led, and we did whatever he wanted, and it was the best wrestling I've ever been a part of. He was the greatest talent ever, and um, I was 100% cooperative with anything he wanted. Very rare that people get a chance to spend many years wrestling with not only their brother, but their father, too. So what a treat that must have been for you. Right. It was a great treat. The one thing that always gets to me is we never really got a Poffo brother versus brother match in WWF. I know we talked a little about this in the past, but was this idea ever floated around? When you're working for Vince McMahon, you just listen to what he wants, and then you do the best of your ability exactly what he wants. There was no ideas floating around at all. We're excited to have the hustler Rip Rogers on our show today. He's a guest many listeners have been hoping for us to get on the show for a while now. He started off his time in your family's ICW territory in 1977, and he's got a big history with your family. That's right. Sometimes too long a history, but at least he had the decency to reach out when my brother died. That's good to know. I know he's current trainer over at Ohio Valley Wrestling and what many consider to be one of the best minds in the business. All you have to do is follow him on Twitter at Hustler2754 to get daily professional wrestling advice from the guy. It was wonderful to hear you two talk, and I'm excited to play this interview for our listeners now. We have a special guest on the Genius Cast due to popular demand, formerly known as Hustler Rip Rogers. Now I'm just going to call you Rip. How you doing? And thank you for being on the show. Well, you know, uh... My journey in professional wrestling, without you, your brother, your mom, and your dad, I wouldn't even have any. And I always tell that to everybody, that you have mentors, you have people that take care of you. I talked about how you got me booked in the, in the Maritimes, and then you got me booked in uh, uh, for Nick Bullis, and your dad booked me down there for Frankie Kane, and then you yourself booked me for Don Owens out there, which I went in. 
And then Randy said, come home. And I said, when Randy says, come back, you, you don't, uh, you don't mess with the czar. You just come back. <laughs> yes. You called him the czar. Is that because of your, uh, Russian history? No, I didn't know anything about, I just knew the czar was the ruler and every, and you just shut up and did what the czar said or, or you would meet the consequences. <laughs> it's going to be real, real bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, you're about to leave for Louisville, and you're going to be on the uh, 1000s show. We're taping ahead of time, so uh, tell us about that. What are you going to be doing there? Hell if I know. They just told me to goddamn be there, you know. Then I'll figure out whatever whatever they need. You know, you got to wear all those different hats. So uh, whatever they need to do, I'll just do it to the best of my ability. It might be the shits, but it's the best. Uh, it's like when, uh, when I started with you guys. Hell, I'd hardly been in a goddamn wrestling ring. And you never knocked me, you never yelled at me, you never cussed me out. He was in the dressing room trying to help me. And uh, I just shut up and I learned. And you didn't have to be spoken to. It was just by, it's like your dad doing, uh, I think when he was 58, doing all those sit-ups on TV. So hell, I did it for Cornette. I did the, I did the squats the whole hour. Because I said, well, hell, Miser can do that. I said, that's my inspiration. I can sure as hell do that and keep up with him because, hell, he was 58, I think, and I was about 40 or something like that. But just seeing that opened up my eyes to, it's like you were raised in a wrestling family. And hell, I got in the wrestling business half-assed and wasn't even smart. So you guys are like 20 years ahead of me. So I'm just some fucking goofball trying to work hard and do what I'm told because I don't have an opinion because I know I'm the goddamn shits. And here I am, how many years later, teaching wrestling. And every principle I got, I pretty much uh, learned from your family. And that's just the way, that's the way it is, and that's the way it was, and so that's that. <laughs> I get all choked up. If you were a goofball, I wouldn't have invited you on my podcast, because we have a rule, no goofballs allowed. So you don't know what you're going to be doing in Louisville? You're just going there? They just told you to go there? Yeah, they just they got this show. It's going to be a two-hour thing, and they got a meet-and-greet thing, and then they got the show tonight and stuff like that. So, whatever, you know, and it's going to be, a, it's like our WrestleMania or whatever, so it's going to be a bunch of chickens running around with their head cut off and not, nobody knowing know what the hell to do, so... Uh, I know Mick Foley's going to be there. Do you know any other stars that are going to be there? I know Tommy Dreamer's going to be there. I know Billy Gunn's going to be there. I, I know uh, the guy from TNA, the big guy. I can't think of his. He wears the hood and everything. I think he's from around Cincinnati. I can't think of his name right. Hell, I can't remember if my pants are zipped or not anymore. But uh, there's going to be a, a Hurricane Helms is going to be there. And then uh, Victoria, the lady, Victoria's going to be there. ODB, the girl wrestler, she's going to be there. And a lot of guys that have come through the school and stuff, uh, they're going to be there. So uh, it's like anything. Well, they got that Kentucky Athletic Commission. It's hard to get a license and anything political. You know how that is. So you can send your shit in, and sometimes you don't get taken care of, and that's uh, that's the real world. It's the real world. I was uh, I did a few shows in Kentucky about six months ago. Months previously, I had to get everything set. Right. And it was all computerized and all. Oh, it was a nightmare. Right. And, Rip, I don't know how you feel about it, but um, have you ever seen a state athletic commission that did anything good? Well, uh, see, here's the thing. I've 
you've been on, we've been on both sides of the coin and it's like Eastern Kentucky for us, it was a gold mine, right? Yeah. And now they got everybody, everybody can be a wrestler. There's really no qualifications. So you can go out and kill towns with, you know, with, with the fanboy wrestlers doing their fucking dives, <laughs> looking like, uh, 142 pounds with their t-shirts on and their tennis shoes and, and whatever. So, I mean, when we were going to Manchester and the couch's place and Garvin and Orton were, were in a, were in the, uh, uh, the strap match with the fans and the fans are scared to strap them. Uh, you know, we were half ass over right. <laughs> and now you're basically, uh, guys will go in, go into some town and, and they pretty much, kill it for everybody unless you're wwe of course right i get the subtle difference there yeah but uh tell me you've trained a lot of people um of, of all the people you've trained what are some of the biggest stars that went on to become something well uh we had a lot of trainers down there and uh, you know john cena was there brock lesnar was there uh bautista Randy Orton, when he was 19, he was, uh, he was there at the school. And the thing I'm most proud of is I got 64 guys jobs that walked into beginner's class. These weren't the chosen few, the great athletes, you know, these were guys that were just taught, uh, fundamentals, old school wrestling and psychology. And 64 of them got jobs as guy wrestlers, girl wrestlers, uh, stooges, <laughs> office guys and referees and, Anything they wore a lot of hats, but they kept jobs. So, uh, but they were the guys that uh, weren't the chosen few. They they walked in in the beginners class. So you and you remember our beginners class when Garvin was in there, uh, sugaring guys and guys were peeing their pants and pooping their pants, and you and George were scared to death. We afraid Garvin was going to kill him. <laughs> right. As a matter of fact, I just ran into Bill Martin, uh-huh. and uh, he gives me credit because it. His friend, uh, Rick Cook, yeah. was watching, uh-huh. and uh, he watched me panic and say, let him go, for Christ's sakes, I think yeah. he's going to kill him. You know, yeah. his eyes were bulging out, uh-huh. and uh, I thought he had an aneurysm or something. I thought I was witnessing a murder, so I had to jump in. So he says, thanks for saving my life that day. He said, Rick Cook told me that if it wasn't for me, he would have been. I said, well, you know, that's like, don't get carried away when you got the submission hold on. Come on. You know, it's, it's loosened up a bit. But he was trained by, but you know who was doing that? Eddie Graham was doing all that crap. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, you get a mark in the ring and you're supposed uh-huh. to kill him. You know, but I don't go for that. <laughs> you know, I think that's a little, that's a little rude. Well, but, um, yeah, if I would have done that, I, hell, I wouldn't have been man enough to go through it anyway. <laughs> so tell me, how old are you now, Rip? Well, hell, I'm still... February 7th, 54, I'm still how many months older than you, you know, <laughs> until until I croak or you croak, it's going to be the same. See, I'll be 65 in February. I'm December 28th, 1954, so I'll be mm-hmm. 64 coming up soon, so you're just a little yeah. more experienced than me about breathing in and out. Yeah, that's about so, it. <laughs> um, so you don't get in the ring anymore, do you? No, uh, I'll do stuff on the outside, but uh, I know my limitations and I, in my mind, it's like the, uh, when you term and you coin the phrase wrestlers are terminal adolescents, I always use that. And I always give you 
credit for that. Uh, the terminal adolescence. So if you break into 21 and you're 64, you still think for 21 in your mind. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of wrestlers that, um, in my opinion, um, you know, hung on a little bit too long and embarrassed themselves. Actually, I thought my father should have hung it up years before he did, but he loved it so much. Yeah. And I didn't have the heart to tell him, you know, and uh, that it was getting to be a little bit. Um, and I th then he, he got some heart. He became a heart patient. Uh -huh. And then that's when my mom made him quit. Uh -huh. So I was like relieved, you know, but, um, I have to admit I'm a whore too. So I just <laughs> participated in a 10 man tag team match in, um, tower, Minnesota. Uh -huh. And I said, well, I can just do 20% of the stuff, you know, and maybe the other guys can tote the mail a little bit, but it wasn't so bad. You know, I just did a little bit of this or that, you know, I just gotta, I said, please take care of me. I don't want to die with my boots on. You know, I want to be at home in bed. Yeah, I got you. But it, I mean, it was unbelievable looking back when you got to wrestle with your dad and your brother for no matter how short the period of time was, that just, that just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And and if it was going to happen, it, you know, everything, everybody's finite. So uh, I have to tell you something before we go any further. Um, I classify people in two categories those who called when Randy died and those who did not. Uh -huh. And I want to say thank you for calling when Randy died. And thank you for expressing your condolences. And thank you for, um, and I, I don't want to mention people's name who didn't call. Um, Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, but I'm not going to mention their names. Okay, I got you. But uh, thank you for calling. And I appreciated it. I know you're very busy. And you're probably missing a workout, and I don't want to make your pump a little less. But um, and I know you got to get your ass to Louisville. No, I'm fine. I took my shower. I already worked out my three hours this morning. Three hours? What yeah, the hell do you do for three hours? Well, you, you know when when your body's broke down, right? Yeah. You know, you know how I was nuts, and I would do 300 reps every body part every day. You know, with light weights, with minimal rest, sometimes sets of 100. And a normal person can't do that. Guys will try to train with me. I said, no, you can't do that. And then they'll barf right there. And I said, well, I've done this for a while. Because my, but I train light because my joints are so bad. They, they hurt. You know, I got the two double rotary cuff tears. And uh, I got the double hip replacements put in. And the bad knee and the neuropathy of the feet. And it's, but it's going to get it's all karma. So what the fuck, right? <laughs> but I got, I got hit and run and left for dead years ago i'm sorry you got left for dead what was this i was teaching for wwe at obw i was doing their developmental program by myself training all these guys every day but they wouldn't give me any insurance okay so i had to get another job and i worked at ups to get that cobra insurance so uh one night the girl come running around the corner and ran me over and kept on going and then I jumped up and got her license number, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But to make a long story short, I wouldn't get an operation because I knew they'd just fire me. So I hung on for so many years. And then I just, uh, all of a sudden, my hips, the doctor told me, all my teeth started falling out of the rib. Because the calcium uh, that was supposed to be going to my hips, everything was going there. So 
uh, my teeth just started getting black and falled out. It was a hell of a rib. And I got like five teeth underneath, but I got all the, uh, the dents or whatever, you know, and Mick, po- Mick Foley paid for them all. On, on his comedy show, he, uh, he took all the pictures in Indianapolis, his picture money, and in Chicago, and he gave it to me, and it paid for my teeth and getting them extracted and everything at the IU School of Dentistry. So I owe Mick Foley shit about my goddamn life, you know what I mean? So. Oh, Mick Foley is a fantastic guy, you know, multi-talented, and uh, he's from Pittsburgh, and I believe he was trained by Dominic Danucci. That's right. And uh, you could learn everything Dominic knows about wrestling in about 10 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, you cannot teach a person to throw himself off a big cage onto a cup of water. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's either, you don't learn that in school. You're either certified uh, nutcase or you are not, you know. Myself, I would have to crawl down like a little scared girl from the cage, you know. And then when I got to the locker room, they would laugh at me, but that's okay. I'd still be whole. You know, yeah. Would you? What's the stupidest bump you've ever done? I don't. I don't think I ever really did any, Lanny. Getting run over by a hit and run girl, I guess, was their biggest bump. Yeah, uh, but I, I learned to take your normal bumps and just oversell them, and then that you get much more. It's like I got on. I got on Mick. I said, "You fell off the goddamn top of the cage." Then you goddamn got up like a fucking mark because you wanted to see it on video. Then you, you know what I mean? I said, you, I said, I would have took that pay. I'd have been life threatening for nine months, whatever. Then make a comeback for next year and then do it again or go, you know what I mean? Right. And I said, but we're all, we're all marks wanting to see our shit on, on tape, you know? Yeah. If I, if I had leaped off a cage and I was still alive, I'd want to see it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I always tell everybody, they're always talking about punching is to check your punch out. Now you got the best right hand. And then I was the recipient of that little bit of potatoes so you perfected that son of a bitch where you wouldn't even touch me in the fucking nose in the mouth or whatever but uh because you weren't projected as the superstar when you were making all that money people look they don't get it you know so but you know as like randy said uh you know i'm a champion i said yeah you're the best oh my dad owns it So I learned about attitude, that it's not real. And it just put me in the game, coach, whatever you need. You need a stolen base. You need me to get hit by the ball, hit behind a runner. Just put me out. I just want to play. I love this shit. Are you trying to say that George Goulas did not deserve the championship belt that he won? Well, you know, daddy said sell, so what the hell, right? (laughs) Okay. There was a compliment in there a few minutes ago, so thank you so much for that. And, uh... Hey, we had a few good times, didn't we, uh, in the Maritimes and uh, different things? Maybe you don't want to talk about all of them, but uh, the fans really want to get to know you. So how do you feel going forward? You know, what's going on in your life? Well, I'm I'm still busy in the wrestling business. So like you, I've been still getting, get, getting a paycheck in over 40 years. And you can't bitch about that. And you'll be you'll be happy to hear this. As of two years ago, I had spent ten dollars over ten dollars on one meal in my life, and that was Grizzly Smith talked me into that Oklahoma City Tulsa breakfast. It was like twelve ninety nine or something, and I was sick the whole day because I spent that. Since then, I, I've had some more buffets that have been over that, 
but uh, that one time in 1983 was the first time I ever had a meal that was $10, so I, I think you'd like that. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, did you at least get your money's worth by, uh, you know, going back to the buffet several plates? Oh, yeah. I ate it, and I, you know, and I had the uh, the plastic bags with me, so I took some shit with me, and it was in my pocket as I left. So on the way to Tulsa, I ate the rest of it, and away from Tulsa back to uh, Bossier City, I ate some more. So what the hell, right? Well, there was a wrestler that was famous, uh, Captain Lou Albano and um, Tony Altamore. And they were famous for walking out on their check. Isn't that a great thing to be famous for? Well, I remember when I went up and did WWWF TV first time. This was before I met you. Uh, those two took all my shit. And we was at that hotel at the, uh, the Philadelphia Arena where we stayed at, wherever that hotel was. And they took all my shit and hung it on the chandeliers and stuff. So. What the hell, right? <laughs> and how long did you look for this before you found it? Oh, no. You know, uh, they just looked at the top there. I just started laughing. I said, uh, <laughs> that's okay. I just want to hang out. I just want to act like I'm a wrestler because I'm a shit. <laughs> well, several years later, um, the, rib the ribs got a little worse. They started using people's suitcases as toilets. And... I always was worried that they would, you know, one time I hid my cap and gown so well, I couldn't find it myself. <laughs> and it took me a while. But the boys that would do that, I mean, there was about eight of them. I don't want to mention any names here, uh, but there was like, who wasn't doing it? And the reason that they, they didn't do it to me was because I finally figured it out. They would have to answer to the macho man. And they afraid Randy would kill him. <laughs> you know, he had the... Uh, Hear the look, you know, so I don't think they were afraid of me. I think they were afraid of him. But anyway, nobody ever used my suitcase as a toilet, and I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> That's what's so funny is, like, you're laid back, and I'm as laid back as you could be. And then Randy taught me about intensity. And I'm still laid back, but when it needed to be turned on, if I had his intensity, man, I could have been a whole lot better ball player and everything, but I just, it, I just didn't have it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I can see Ange pushing Randy and needling him and getting under him just to, just to push him to be the best he can be. And hell, my dad worked at the goddamn post office, right? <laughs> it was just a different, it was just a different thing. And, and you had Randy as a, as an older brother and hell, I was the oldest boy. So, I didn't really have anybody to be a role model, a mentor or whatever. And I was just dopey dope laid back. And, uh, I was pretty athletic and stuff, but I just didn't have that drive. Like Randy throwing the ball 15, 1500 times against the wall, to turn himself left handed. And then I'd throw in before I'd take off running. And for no reason, <laughs> <laughs> Back it was back in the day when we used to when we used to save money on hotel rooms. Yeah. And there were too many of us in a room. And then I remember I thought everybody was asleep. And then I hear your voice and say uh -huh. <laughs> he said, Whatever happened to Chico Simone? <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, that was <laughs> and I for tell the, people on the podcast the record was sixteen in the motel room we had in Southern Illinois. No, really? Was I one of them? It had the yeah, the boys, the boys, the ring crew, and uh, who, who was the guy with uh, 
that held the ring that did the ring on the uh on the the west end over there by cape gerardo uh with his wife and the son and uh the big he was sort of big the kegel the kegel family yeah but i said yeah the record was uh there was a 33 dollar room and uh, we had 16 people there and i woke up and i said i made it and didn't spend a nickel which was awesome oh man that that one week I had the bet with Randy, I didn't open my wallet. You know, you know how you go to the the matches and then you'd eat, but you did you wasn't really hungry. You really didn't need it, and so I I didn't spend one cent the whole week. I had that five dollar bill in there the whole week, so that was the record for that. So, and this is before anybody had credit cards. Oh so. yeah, well I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get a credit card. I didn't want a credit card. Shit, I wanted to have the money to pay for it. Everything was cash. So you must have had a lot of coinage after <laughs> every time you spend some money, you have left all those coins. When I first got into my own territory, um, I was in, oh, it was 1974. I was living on 400 King Arnold Street in Hapeville, Georgia. Did you ever remember Falcon Rest? Were you ever there? I stay, Yeah, I stayed at the Falcon Rest with Miss T. That's, yeah, I was in room 20. Uh, I can't remember what room I was in, but... Uh... Dr. Ken Ramey, he gimmicked my TV antenna, so I got the free cable. And then one night I had flip-flops on, and I slipped going upstairs, and I went all the way down. I'm yelling and screaming. After about 30 seconds, I said, uh, nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. Just get your lazy ass back up there, and uh, that's what you get for trying to run in the goddamn rain, you fucking idiot. I'm talking to myself. So Dr. Ken Ramey, he was there helping out. So uh, at Miss T's in Hapeville, Georgia. Didn't get any better than that. Wow, I'll tell you what. If the walls could talk, huh? Wow. You know what's so funny is, you know, Randy had to have a contest with everything, right? And I'm such an idiot. I'm such a mark. I would try and beat him, and sometimes I would, which is the worst thing in the world that could happen, right? Instead of putting him over and saying, oh, you're the best, whatever it is, and then, <laughs> like, I'd always could beat him in the 40 or whatever and he'd get mad and tackle me or whatever right but the one time i i i passed him and then i turned around and ran backwards on the finish line oh my god he was ready to kill me and he was red he was purple i thought i was gonna die and i was just so stupid where i just should have you know put him over and then i then it's like tony fault boots you know uh, when randy wanted tony's boots i said tony uh, give Randy them goddamn boots and your bookies will pick up you. <laughs> oh, that was a good look. No, wait a minute. Tell me again about the boots. Okay. Your mother said, Tony said, said Tony, uh, Randy would like to buy your boots. Well, you know, I just got them in and, and I paid a lot of money at B Bar A boot shop. Bill asked me those boots and I liked them. They're my nice color. They like this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden he went from like six bookings to four bookings, right? <laughs> and then your mom suggested your mom suggested again. Well, Judy, I can't really do it right now. I, I, but my bookings are. And then all of a sudden next week he had like three bookings and then two bookings. Finally, I said, Tony, please sell those boots before you have no bookings. <laughs> Boy, I'm I'm shocked shocked to find out that they would use boots as a. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this was going on. I was in the babyface dressing room. I don't, I didn't understand any of this. 
But I would have advised Tony to go ahead and sell the boots and then yeah. watch his bookings go up. Yeah. Uh-huh. I saw Tony um, about six months ago. Uh-huh. He says he picks all the time, and then he'll be 280, then he'll get down to 220, and then he'll go back to 280, back and forth. I'm going to start tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> be Mr. Mr. Before. Yes. Of all the times that I ever, you know, we ever rode together and everything and kayfabed or whatever, one time I laughed so hard, my cheekbones were sore for like two days. It was you and Pez Watley and um, Big Will, Willie Monroe. Big Willie Monroe, six foot ten, weighed 454. Will so big, couldn't get through the door. Okay. Big Will Monroe. Big Will. You and Pez made his life miserable for about 400 miles. <laughs> well, Pez was, Pez was giving me the office to do it to him, right? Yes. You guys were, oh my God. I And I couldn't, I didn't say a word. I was just laughing too hard. <laughs> the thing is, I was trying not to laugh because I don't want to be cruel. Right. But it started out, Pez Watley says, Big Will, <laughs> how much do you weigh? I weigh, I weigh 425 pounds. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> He says, he says, if it wasn't for Andre the Giant, you'd be the biggest guy in professional wrestling. <laughs> and then he says, well, I got, I got to start cutting down on my salt. Oh, yeah, cut yeah, down I on your salt. Right. Cut tried. down on your salt. You better be do better than that. <laughs> oh, wow. And then the line that choked me up the most, okay, he says, Pez Watley, he said, you don't have to go to the big man store. You got to go to the real big motherfucking store. <laughs> That's too much for me. I could, I was, oh man, I thought I was going to die laughing, but nothing funny about it. You know, obesity is not funny, but. It made the trip go fast, didn't it? Well, nothing could make the trip go fast, but it made it go happier. You know yeah. what I mean? It was like, so you won a lot of best abs contests in your time. And I guess Randy hated you for that too. <laughs> so, oh, because yeah. so you had him in you had him in the legs, you had him in the abs, you had him in the chest, and I guess he had the arms, and he won every arms contest that you know back in the days oh. when you guys were competing in bodybuilding. Randy, Randy had those tremendous arms and those tremendous shoulder blades and deltoids, you know. And shit, I was I was training so much, I was so over fucking trained. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I thought I would just, I would train harder and diet more and, and eventually you crack, you know, that your body can't, your body can't take anymore. It's just fucking this, who's this fucking nut doing all this shit, gaining 60 pounds, losing 50 pounds, you know, doing all this stuff. And, uh, but it was something, and remember when Randy saw Kevin Sullivan on Jarrett's show and then said, we're doing that, right? So that just opened a whole new avenue to uh to push to make ourselves uh better and to make us look like uh studs and shit you was in contest randy's in contest i was in contest and then doggendorf johnny will hoyt and pez was in the powerlifting thing so we looked like we was half-assed and knew what the hell was going on you know so uh if i was a fan watching that i would have surely caught my eye and I would have liked I would have liked our fucking wrestling I saw Mike Dorgendorf uh, about six months ago uh, when I was in Kentucky he came in all the way from Louisville to see me uh, uh -huh. I think he's in Louisville or near Louisville where, where are you living now 
I live in Indianapolis. I've lived in Indianapolis since uh, 2001. I drive down to Louisville. I used to drive down there every day when I was teaching for WWE. So now I go down there just on weekends, and I, I have class on Saturday and Sundays there at the school. Do you ever uh, associate with the Hoffmeister gym or anything? Uh, or is it, when did he die? What, he must have yeah. got to be dead now. What is it? Oh, yeah. Fred died when when I was at ICW. And I went in to see him, and he said uh, he was on dialysis. He said, fuck this shit, scary. He said, I'm telling him to turn this son of a bitch off. This ain't no way to live. So they impl- they did the, 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 the they stopped it and he did, and he just died but that's what he wanted. So uh, that was like Ray Ray Thunderstern had that stroke, and he said I don't want to be hooked up to no machines. Fuck this, turn this some bitch off and let me die. So that's that. So until you're in those shoes, you don't know. And then uh, when you're used to being active and healthy, and all of a sudden you lose your health. I mean, it, it don't get any worse than that. So, but that's that's just life. Yes, and uh, if you live long enough, you know, you get to see all your friends die. If that's you know, uh, I'm just glad my father died one year before my brother did. Yeah. Unfortunately, my mother was she was fully cogent and you know witnessed everything, and it was just horrible. And I had to take care of her for the last six mo- six years. Yeah, and she just died June the third of. Um, last year 2017 so um anyway it was horrible trust me it was not is not a good thing you don't want uh you don't want to outlive the kids yeah my my mom and dad both died in the last 16 months so i'm an orphan now so yeah it's a whole new ball game my dad was 85 and my my mom died and she was 88 but i'd see her every week i'd stop at her house or i'd stay there going to obw and the last week I knew that was the last time I'd see her. She was just going downhill, and I knew it. I'm sorry to hear that. I did not know your, uh, I met them, but I did not know your parents. But I'll tell right. you something. This is, you know, I'm a health nut. I believe in Paul Bragg and all this, and I'm brimming with enthusiasm for life and all this. I forgot about Paul Bragg. <laughs> oh, you can't, you can't, don't forget about Paul Bragg. Okay. Anyway, he's just brimming with enthusiasm. Remember you used to brim me? Okay. So anyway. This is what really gets me. Here you got Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. They're a tag team. Yeah. Now, Nikolai is all about fruits and vegetables and seeds and nuts and this and that, you know, and he gives you a 20-hour lecture on health every time you talk to him. He brings his own pots and pans on the road because he doesn't want to eat in the restaurant, goes to the grocery store, cooks in his room, you know, um, and plenty plenty of garlic, so you always know where he's been. Anyway... Nikolai dies, and Iron Sheik, who's been trying to kill himself for the last 40 years, he's still alive. Now, is it fair? Well, you know, the thing with Nikolai is, what did he weigh? Oh, he was big. Okay, so we know that you can't carry that weight. So he needed to get down to about 230 pounds, no matter what, because your heart can't carry that. Uh, all that bulk, you know how big he was. Gee whiz, you know what I mean? It's just I, I, I never, I, I, you don't see heavy old people; they just die. That's true. And um, here's a little something that I found out because I know some people that knew him um, toward the end. He lived in Baltimore. Uh-huh. He he had a heart attack. He went to the hospital. 
and they wanted to give him two stents. Mm-hmm. And he refused and he walked out and died. So please, if you're listening, if they want to give you two stents, take both of them. If you want to live. Yeah. Now, dialysis, I don't know if I'd want to live with dialysis. But stents, you know, it's a little less invasive than dialysis. So everybody's got a choice for the million dollar man. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you want to do it or you want to live. You know, anyway, that's your choice. But dialysis, I, I understand that's very major suckage in dialysis. That's what I hear. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Nikolai was a very nice person. Um, Iron Sheik, uh, you know, I can't say that. But, you know, I wish him the best. Hey, I had Sheiky in for a show. I ran my hometown uh, three years in a row in the high school. We did over a thousand people each show three years in a row, which was good, just doing basic wrestling. And I had Garvin and Sheik come in. It was the old WWF versus NWA champions, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Sheik come in and goes, Rip, baby, where's my hotel? I said, Sheik, fuck you and your hotel. I said, you're, that's up to you. He says, oh, I leave. I said, no, you get the fuck out of here. I'll work twice. Nobody will give a shit about your old fucking ass. Go fuck yourself, Sheik. Oh, Rip, you know I was ribbing. <laughs> <laughs> Then he went out. Then he went out and got. He went out and got color in the match. I said, "Sheik, what the hell's the matter with you?" Oh, I thought I would spice it up. I said, "Please don't think. Just put just put Garvin over, please." <laughs> what a rib! Was was this in Indianapolis or Seymour? Well, this was in Seymour. So we had three shows in a row there that did a thousand people, which was really good. I'd come home off the road every year around Christmas time and run a show like two, three days after Christmas, a big Christmas spectacular. And I and I did the old ICW thing the first year. I used Dale TNT Man in his ring. Was was nice and cheap. Then the next year I had other other top stars. <laughs> and then uh, the third year, uh, the big main event was Garvin versus Sheik. But I learned I learned my lesson. I, all I needed was one name, not two. And and of course the house was the same, but it cost me so much more. So it's it's all live and learn like anything else. Have you seen Ronnie Garvin lately? I haven't seen. Uh, I'm trying to think the last time I've seen him. God, I don't know, but he looked he looked good. Yeah, he looks good. He's uh, he, and he's. I saw him two years ago, and he says he's married again. I guess that's number ten. Um, but um, he's living in West Virginia. Uh-huh. I don't know, but he but he's got that small plane and he flies yeah. it all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he's. I understand he's a hell of a pilot, although I would not take a chance because of the way he drove. Well, the big rib was he'd take you up in the plane, right? And he would act like he was running out of gas. You'd shit your pants. <laughs> then he would land, and he'd say, hey, we're going to take Leap and Lanny up. So this time when we do it, you're in on the rib, right? So he'd do the thing, and I'd start screaming. You're screaming in the back. And he'd say, no. This time it's shooting. We really are running out of gas. Ah! Then he get both. Then he get me again, right? <laughs> Jeez. So how many times you fly with him? Uh, just two. Then I learned my lesson. That's two more than I did. Yes. Because driving with him was, even, <laughs> you know those uh, two lane roads through the mountains. You'd see the sign that had the snake. You know, and I said. Ronnie, you can't do that. Look at the look at the sign. He said, "Oh, you can't always go by that." 
Yeah. <laughs> what they put it in there. Oh, he scared me. And then, you know, just ridiculous driving. But he was good at it. You yeah. know, he's, he was safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, he wrecked that car on Highway 27 when he was with, when he was space one night. Remember that? And he tore his car up, ran the telephone pole or a tree or something. Yeah, I know this. Wait a minute. <laughs> Go ahead and tell the story because I got a different version. Oh, okay. Huh. Tell me what you know, and I'll tell you what I know, uh, okay. and then we'll see. No, I don't know. I just yeah. one of the boys told me, and I just chuckled, right, that he was with the big F going down the thing, and his his uh. No, no, no. It wasn't Faith. It oh, okay. was Patty. I remember the name, but I can't place her right now. Okay, beautiful girl, great complexion, nice smile, very lovely girl, slightly overweight, but, you know, heavy but not fat. Yeah. You know, uh, definitely doable because of her, of her many qualities. Okay? okay. Because, you know, when you got a good complexion, good smile, you forgive a lot. Okay? Okay. So, I remember Tony Falk was setting up the ring. <laughs> and he had his girlfriend with, uh-huh. okay? And she and she was uh, a little bit uh, on the heavy side. Mm-hmm. And then Ronnie was wearing an outfit like the Marlboro Man. He had a cowboy hat, like a Stetson hat. Yeah. He had blue. He had the. He had this jeans. He had yeah. the boots. He looked. He looked good in it too. He wore it well. Yeah, he was he looked really kill. good. Yeah. He was dressed to kill in mm-hmm. cowboy wear. Mm-hmm. And he looked like a. I'm going to say $500 is, I'm guessing, his entire outfit because of the boots and the hat. Mm-hmm. You know, and, he, and it, like I say, he wore it well, very well-groomed guy. So as he's leaving, Tony Fox says, mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, no, oh, no, this is going to this is gonna end badly. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because you don't rib Ronnie, he will find uh-huh. a way, so... He took three steps, pivoted, and turned and looked at his girlfriend and says, yeah, I may be a cowboy, but at least I don't fuck cows. <laughs> and, he said it right, and he said it right in front of his girlfriend. Oh, my God. And I said, oh, no, that's too much. You can't do that. So, so then within two weeks, Ronnie was with Patty, who was also large, mm-hmm. but like I said, made up for it in many ways. But still, you know... Ronnie was with Patty, and whatever they were doing uh, caused him distraction enough to wrap his car around the whatever he hit. In yeah. total, his brand new, I think it was a Datsun or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a classic story. So. so together we knew something, but we pieced the puzzle together. And Tony, I said, don't go up to Ronnie with anything because he will win. Yes. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like you're not gonna top him, you know. Yeah. So, uh, well, Tony isn't gonna top him. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody will, but Tony definitely won't. Anyway, it's been a great interview, and I want to thank you. Is there anything you want to say before we leave? Do you remember beautiful Edith? Yes, <laughs> you're talking about you're you're talking about uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah, seventy-eight. Yeah, you had a song, Beautiful Edith, Beautiful Edith, you're the only, only girl that's meant for me. That's right. Beautiful Edith, Beautiful Edith, you can eat an apple through a picket fence. Oh, yeah. Golly. And then there was one beautiful albino. Oh, yeah. No, no, Bruce Bruce Hardman would say, 
beautiful Albano. Albano. <laughs> oh, man. That was really great. Then we had the girl in the car, and remember, she smelled like the rotten fish, and you called her on it. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm such a gentleman. What did I say about the, uh, the fishy aroma in the car? Well, you made her close her legs. I, I said, you want to stop and get some Massengill? Something like that. Disposable douche? Mm-hmm. You know, because this is like, uh, you're ruining the upholstery here. <laughs> uh, hey, remember we had the girl in the back seat. It was me and Brute Richard, and we was and we was having the race with the two hands, and he had the crooked snake, but it's the crooked worm. So, and he was, uh, he was being handicapped because it was, it was bit. She had to go up and down, up and up and around, up and around. So he was. So he lost under protest. Now the fans are getting some insight into the way we used to fill our time, you know. Because otherwise, you're just twiddling your thumbs. You know, it's like there's a okay. It's very lonely on the road. The trips are long and arduous, and time seems to crawl to a standstill. And uh, at least we avoided drugs and drinking and other things that we could have been doing. So anyway, Rip, is there anything you want to promote or push? Nah, I'm on Twitter at hustler two seven five four. That's my birthday, Hustler2754. So uh, that's about it. I'm just hanging out, acting like I'm a wrestler, calling each other brother. Still got my fanny pack on, laps out, you know. Still weigh the same. Unfortunately, I'm skinny fat, you know. <laughs> but I'm not training for the Olympia this year, so what the hell. I'm not going to the Olympia either this year. I'm, and they wouldn't even let me in for the uh, to buy a ticket to watch it. You know, they have standards for that, too. But anyway, um, thank you for being an excellent guest, and I appreciate it. And uh, I know we're going to get some good feedback. Is there anything you want to close with? Because if there's something on your mind, say it now or forever hold your peace. Just just think of the Frank Zane pose with your cheek sucked in. Okay, very good. At least that's <laughs> aesthetic. Okay, that's it. A little better than those ugly bodybuilders. Okay. You've been listening to The Hustler, Rip Rogers. And not only did Mick Foley do a lot for you, but if you read the book, Have a Nice Day, he talks about you very well in that book. Did you read it? Uh, I got it, but I don't know if I read it. I can't remember. At least read the part you're in. I think he, yeah, because he told me what page it was on or something. So, but anyway, that that's cool. So, uh, I just walk around and act like I'm over and collect my zero zero residuals from a book. So what the fuck, right? And then you die. Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. You're in the book. That's all. That, you know what I mean? That's going to be historical. The only thing that counts is what the bank teller counts. Ah, now you're talking like the miser himself. That's it. Very that's good. It. <laughs> and what was, the, what was this big line? Better rich and dead. Than poor and alive. There you go. I don't really believe that one. But anyway, okay. you have a good day, and thank you for being on the show. Excellent guest. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much, Leaper. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. What a great interview with Rip. It really sounds like he's very appreciative of what the Pothos have done for him in his life. Yeah, we did a lot more for him than to him, so he's very appreciative. That was a great interview. I hope our listeners liked it. If you did, hit us up on the Genius Cast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, you name it. Let us know what you think. Pass on this message on to your friends. Spread the word. We're going to go to the fan questions. Bob Welch on Twitter asks, Do you remember going to Harrow Arena with your dad and Randy back in the 1970s in Dayton, Ohio? 
Dayton, Ohio. Yes. You don't have to tell me where Dayton is. I've been there. And uh, Hera Arena, which is, um, I think it was a, a play on words of the name Harold and Ramona or something, Hera. So that was how they uh, named it. I think they, I don't know. I think they tore it down. Not sure. I was recently in uh, Hamilton, Ohio. Had a fantastic time there. And uh, a lot of people remember me from the old Hera Arena. I had a swelling under my chin, okay? And I thought it was a tumor. I didn't know what it was. I was about 20 years old. And there was a, there was a nurse that was there. And she said, oh, you've got mononucleosis. And it was a relief because you don't die from mono, you die from a tumor. So then I substantiated her diagnosis later. And it turns out I didn't go, I didn't get to go to Korea because of that, but I let my brother take my place with my father. And then they got food poisoning while they were there. So I wound up being healthier because I got mononucleosis than if I had gone to Korea. Tell us some memories about that, actually. I don't know if many of our listeners realize that Angelo and Randy had wrestled in Korea. All I can tell you is um, I was recovering from mononucleosis and I didn't get to get uh, food poisoning. Do, does your brother and father have any stories from that time? Well, it's all about diarrhea and vomiting. I don't know what I want to tell you. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. Chris TBJ wrote in to us by email at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Mr. Poffo. Can you break down your brother's appearance on the Arsenio Hall show? Macho was in this black and white getup, and at one point he scared Arsenio with the loud, Aha! My co-workers and I were floored and amazed at how the madness had commanded the camera. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much. And I can tell you that he made three appearances on the Arsenio Hall show. They liked him so much, they brought him back two more times. Now, I believe the appearance with the black and white, he called me up and said, what should I say about the steroids? Because at that time, the steroid thing was starting to make the news. Right. And I said, why don't you just say, I tried it once and I didn't like it because I got a hell of a case of PMS. <laughs> Alejandro Bravo wrote us an email saying he just listened to the Sean Oliver of Kayfabe Commentaries interview that we did a few weeks back. And he heard you say something about Ciclone Negro, who was Venezuelan like him. Now, wrestling was a big deal in Venezuela in the 50s and 60s, mostly because Mexican wrestling influence was big at the time. Sadly, that movement faded, and some of the local legends like Cinco Negro himself, even though most of his career was outside of Venezuela, are sadly forgotten. Do you have any memories of him, and did you ever have the chance to wrestle him or meet him? Yes, I wrestled him, and I also wrestled his brother, Omar Atlas. A lot of people didn't know that, but they were brothers. And Venezuela was the richest country in South America. But thanks to people like Hugo Chavez um, and their socialist regime, they can't even, they eat dogs because there isn't, there's nothing in the uh, pantries. The foods are gone. And I've got neighbors that send food to Venezuela. That's a shame to hear that. Do you ever have a chance to go to Venezuela? No, I've been to Colombia and that's where a lot of the refugees are come, flocking to from, from Venezuela. And they're entering the sex trade in order to get enough money to send it home or to survive. And the um, I've been to Ecuador, Costa Rica, different places, but never Venezuela. And I never will go now because uh, they've got themselves a real serious problem. 
We're going to go to our last question. It actually comes from my Aunt Debbie. She's not a big wrestling fan, but she used to work at WSNS-TV in Chicago Channel 44 in the 70s. And Bob Luce had wrestlers come in every week to do interviews, and she even met them all. Do you have any memories of Bob Luce, or did you ever wrestle for him? I never wrestled for Bob Luce. He was a friend of my father's. And he stood too close to you when he talked. He had very bad teeth. He was very, he had no control over the volume of his voice. He spit when he talked. He was lots of times drunk. He took a lot of anxiety medicines. And that's the bad news. The good news was he was a very good promoter. He was a hustler. He was very talented. He wrote all the programs that the were sold in the Chicago Amphitheater and in the Indianapolis Coliseum and different places. He he was Bruiser Dick the Bruiser's right hand man, and Randy and I felt that his appearance on television was embarrassing because he sounded like a huckster, and I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, but go on YouTube, look at Bob Luce and all his crap, and. Uh, Hey, bring out the Ben's Auto Sales and Jesus. This, you know, I prefer announcers to be a little bit better like Walter Cronkite. And the best announcer I can think of right now, uh, J.R., Jim Ross, because it was his sincerity. He didn't seem like a guy trying to sell barbecue sauce. He seemed like a very nice man that was just, you know, talking to you. Lanny, it's been a pleasure this week. Thank you for the good interview. Until next time, so long and goodbye. And thank you for making the Genius Cast up with a bullet. I just want to say not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this Genius Cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where you can get both of Lanny's shirts for sale. You've got the Black Machismo Jay Lethal on one side and you've got Lanny on the other. And also don't forget the new Genius Glow shirt for sale. You look great in front of your friends and you'll get a shout out on our show. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. We had a lot of fun this week and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z like zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. You've been listening to The Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. 
This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at JP Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time.